This time, we're taking a look at the spoof spectacular Mars attacks. And along the way, we ask, what's the problem with birds? Are humans really supposed to be this excited for a first contact scenario? And how did trading cards lead to a big screen film? This is Force Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Force Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris Rupp, and I am joined by my friend and co-host. <laughs> the Martian Commander, Sean Michael Culp. <laughs> and yes, and we are so excited to be talking about our film today, Mars Attacks, a Tim Burton-directed spectacular from 1996. And I mean, I, I got to say, like, I had so much fun rewatching it for today's episode. I don't know about you, but th it just brought up a lot of great memories I had watching this in the 90s. Oh, that's... Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun watching this film, too. I actually, though, I believe this was the first time that I had seen this film. So, to me, this it was all fresh. But that's cool that you saw, your parents allowed you to see this in the 90s. Mine did not at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I've mentioned it before that my parents had sort of some re weird rules when it came to uh, content digestion in my childhood. Like, I was able to watch Terminator 2 and Predator but the Simpsons were a no-go, and somehow Mars Attacks was okay <laughs> in spite of the many, many red and green skeletons that show up. <laughs> right? The adult humor jokes, like all that stuff, but Simpsons weren't okay. That's just That blows my <laughs> mind, man. Though anyway, let's provide a, a brief synopsis of Mars Attacks. So, when Martians arrive on Earth claiming to... Come in peace. I'm using that in air quotes there. Humanity is surprised to see that they actually want to kill us. And they look to their government and top scientists for hope and just hope against hope that they are able to save everybody and hopefully bring the Martians in peace. I think you got so, it down, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I say hope against hope because I think everybody in this film has an over-reliance on the government and the scientists. Like, oh, they'll make it right. This will all be okay. <laughs> right so, yes let's get into the cast and crew real quick as we mentioned at the top this is directed by tim burton and at this point this was this is what i would call like peak tim burton he had done so many other movies up to this point he'd done uh, peewee's big adventure edward scissorhands batman edward he was a producer on the nightmare before christmas so this was this is like peak tim burton at the height of his powers in hollywood he could do no wrong. No, he really couldn't. I mean, uh, his version of Batman, I still think, is one of the best films in the comic book superhero genre. Ed Wood is fantastic. Edward Scissorhands manages to still be entertaining. I mean, the man has a very eclectic, unique, dark style that just appeals to so that appeals to the inner goth in so many people. <laughs> yeah. Do, are you saying that you're an inner goth, Chris? Every I would say everybody has an inner goth kid that lives in them. It's just to what extent is that inner goth kid on display? All right. All right. Fair enough. Some people, they just keep it, keep it hidden, buried within. Other people paint the nails black. You know, they, you know, they do the whole getup like the Undertaker. Yeah, so, people, all right, Roger. 
Yeah, there's some people that dress up as Jack Skellington for Halloween, and then there's some people <laughs> who watch A Nightmare Before Christmas around Christmas time. That's just how that goes. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for clarifying for me. <laughs> <laughs> We've also got an all-star, absolutely loaded cast in this movie. From yep. top to yes, bottom, this do. is hands down, I would say probably top five casts for a film that we've discussed here on the show. Oh, definitely. That's why I, I've heard of this film's cast, like particularly, you know, Jack Nicholson, because he plays two roles. And that's why I was super pumped to review this movie and watch it, because it's just like the who's who of the 90s. Yeah, you've got, uh, like you said, Jack Nicholson pulling double duty as uh, President James Dale in Artland. You've got Glenn Close as the First Lady, Annette Benning, Pierce Brosnan. Now, this is only a year removed from his debut as James Bond in GoldenEye, so Pierce Brosnan mm-hmm. really hot right now. You've got Danny DeVito, because apparently he and Tim Burton are best friends, and Danny DeVito is in every one of his films. <laughs> you've got Martin Short, Sarah Jessica Parker, Michael J. Fox, and then you kind of go down into the sort of like nitty gritty sort of bit players. Sometimes you've got Rod Steger, who was an Academy Award winner. Uh, Tom Jones mm-hmm. just showing up out of nowhere because it's in Vegas <laughs> and you have to have a Vegas performer in your in your cast. Yeah. You've got football legend Jim Brown, which I for some reason I had forgotten that Jim Brown was in this movie. And he is fan freaking tastic. He was so fantastic. <laughs> and his his punch that was that was the buildup. I love that in this film. <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, I firmly did not expect Jim Brown to throw down with a, a CGI Martian, but it was, oh, uh, it was it was so fun to watch. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. We've also got Lucas Haas. Yes, yes, we do. Lucas Haas is Richie. Natalie Portman. Uh, also in this movie because the 90s were just huge for her um <laughs> lisa marie as the martian girl and i found out the only reason she was casting it because she was tim burton's girlfriend at the time uh, <laughs> as uh, sylvia sydney as grandma florence and this was actually her last film appearance before passing away but she was fantastic mm-hmm. and then rounding out the principal cast christina applegate joe don baker pam greer uh, Paul Winfield's in this too, who we talked about when we uh, discussed Terminator, and we've also got Jack Black. Jack Black <laughs> makes another appearance. Yeah, a young, a very young Jack Black. Very young Jack Black, around the same time that Waterworld came out. So Jack Black making uh, his career, early career as a bit player in ninety science fiction films. Mm-hmm. Before going off and conquering the world with the band Tenacious D. <laughs> hey let's not forget school of rock oh of course put him on the map all right so how did how did this film uh come to play let's talk about some production notes yeah so this actually and i didn't know this heading into this I, I, this this concept this mars attacks idea actually began life as a trading card set in the early 60s and mm-hmm. I don't know if you were able to see these these trading card images, but man, are they like graphic and like super dark for the time. I was not expecting those cards to be a product of the 1960s. Yeah, they're pretty rad looking. I mean, super vintage. I, I would love to have these actually if I could because <laughs> they're pretty cool. 
Uh, yeah, if any of our listeners have like any, you know, Mars Attacks cards that they want to, you know, part with or give to us as a gift, <laughs> we we would be more than willing to accept that. Yeah, because these I mean, are just the- oh man, these are just so dark and creepy looking. Like I think. <laughs> Like there, I'm looking they, at one right now. There's a bifurcated human and a bifurcated dog, uh, <laughs> a Martian creeping into a woman's sleeping bed, another Martian uh, setting a, a box full of kittens on fire. These are just, man, these are massively dark. <laughs> That's great. I just love like the blood on them too. Like how they, oh my God, the, that Martians look insanely evil. Terrible, like they're terrifying. Much different than the Martians in the movie. Yeah, I think the violence is definitely toned down in the film. It's definitely more cartoonish and, and uh, I don't want to say palpable because people are still being, you know, incinerated. But there's yeah. they're just like the darkness of the violence is sort of removed by just saying like, oh, well, there's no blood per se. That's all there's left is just, you know, skeletons. <laughs> right but it's just it's kind of nuts that in the 60s this was their depiction of the martians you know like for the time i guess whereas in the yeah, 90s they, they it's ev- like woo. <laughs> well <laughs> yeah they evolved from being like the, these gray you know big-eyed uh creatures after the roswell incident and now there's yeah. these big brain green monsters that just attack everybody i mean in the <laughs> in the 50s and 60s it, these were it was an easy sort of allegory between a martian invasion and communist because it's still very much in the height of the cold war mm-hmm. so a lot of fear is kind of being preyed upon by saying hey look don't be afraid of the communists but be afraid of these aliens <laughs> These things that we know nothing about. I love yeah. That. So yeah. So to the surprise of no one, the the cards were not on shelves for very long because, well, they were very violent, and in in the early '60s, that was uh, that was a no go for a lot of people. So there was a district attorney in Connecticut. I don't have his name, uh, but he made some inquiries into the company, and the cards just stopped being sold. <laughs> <laughs> because it was too violent. Well, they were too violent. I mean, you 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 could not get away with anything that was remotely violent in the early 60s. I mean, even the the first James Bond film is like watching a Disney movie compared to today's James Bond or Mission <laughs> Impossible films. That is true. Yeah, we are pretty gory and bloody nowadays. Speaking of, you know, I just saw the movie Spiral and that movie was pretty nuts. So you're right. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Now everybody wants the blood. They want the violence. And then this in the early 60s was just not going to (laughs) fly. Some trading cards are like, oh, how could you get that thing off the streets? (laughs) (laughs) And then it was, ah, movies, bad, television, bad. This is corrupting the minds of our children. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how we have changed. (laughs) But... All right, so the cards, they made the movie. He wrote about, you know, he was inspired by the cards and decided, I'm going to make a movie, a satirical film. But wasn't the film darker at first, and then they decided to make it a little bit more campy? Well, I think um, from what I found, there were 
there were two ideas that were sort of pitched to Tim Burton. One was Mars attacks and the other was being dinosaurs attack. But this was also <laughs> a year after Jurassic Park has been released and nobody wanted to do a dinosaur flick because it would just be viewed as sort of a knockoff of Jurassic Park. But yeah, Tim Burton, Tim Burton came up with the idea to sort of make Mars attacks this homage or spoof film of a lot of 1950s uh, B movies from uh, the sci-fi genre. So you, you drew inspiration from invaders from Mars. It came from out of space, the war of the worlds in uh, the original invasion of the body snatchers also plan nine from outer space. So this, this is sort of the aesthetic that Tim Burton grew up watching and thought that he could update it or just, present it in a new light in the mid 90s well that's nice he's paying he's paying his dues to the people though it is kind of ironic that independence day also came out <laughs> very similar time <laughs> oh yeah we will we will certainly save sort of that that goof up <laughs> towards the end of the show when we talk about mars attacks legacy but you, you get a if you watch the film and you are reminded of Dr. Strangelove, you're not wrong there because that aesthetic was intentional by uh, Tim Burton and the production designers. Oh, okay. They did it all on purpose. To, what, oh, yeah, probably? absolutely. <laughs> That's funny. I, but it makes sense because it's almost like a disaster film. You know, I think that's what he said. He's, it's kind of like the Poseidon Adventure from 1972, you know, or Towering Inferno. He won an all-star cast. Well, yeah, and that was true of a lot of disaster films, and it's still true now of having this all-star uh, cast that is any one of those actors would be able to carry a film on their own, but they're all together here in this great grand adventure where things are on fire and things are collapsing and there's explosions <laughs> everywhere <laughs> yes uh, i love it but i was also surprised to learn i mean if, if, if you know anything about tim burton you know one of his frequent collaborators is composer danny elfman and they actually almost didn't work together on this movie really why not I guess they had some sort of disagreement on uh, like during the making of a nightmare before Christmas. And I mean, that film score is fantastic. Uh, there was just some sort of dispute. It, it, the specifics aren't really sort of known. That's sort of between um, Burton and Elfman, but they were able to reconcile squash uh, the beef before making Mars attacks. And it, uh, this is one of Dan uh, Danny Elfman's best film scores. There's, so much use of the theremin it's dramatic it's fun it's mm -hmm. it's a perfect like there was nobody else who could have made a better score for mars attacks than danny elfman no and and he you're right the score is pretty tremendous especially when they meet the martians the first time or like when the martians pulled the one over in the capital on the senators and start murdering people i just love the the dramatic tension and the build-up you know, so where, you know, they want to be friends or pretend to be friendly. And then right before they just completely eviscerate everyone and murder them. Yeah, it was a it was a mistake to let the Martians in the Congress building there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, like, yeah, yeah, I totally echo what you're saying about Danny Elfman. He was uh, his his creative talents were put on full display here in this film. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. 
I think. So um, I mean, what did you, I mean? Yeah, go I for mean, it. but also being for the mid '90s, I would say the the visual effects were pretty impressive at the time. Oh yeah, this was a very because I know um, he he gave it a shot because this was made '95, uh, and I know Tim Burton wanted to use stop motion animation for the Martians, but then he decided to swap. You know. And it says they had an international team of 70 animators working on it for eight months to get these Martians involved. And I th- I mean, it, it looks like it's a 90s film, right? It, the CGI is dated, but it's also, what, 25 years old? So, you know, not everything can be Jurassic Park. But this stuff, it's great. It's funny. They're, the Martians don't look too hokey. That uh, their crazy dialogue... You know, their voice that you so lovely put out in our uh, intro, which I'm still kind of cheesing over. That's It all worked out. It's really silly. It's very silly. Yeah, that um, that Martian, you know, the ack-ack that they just throw out there, uh, That that's one of my favorite film <laughs> sound effects. And it's, they just, they created it in the most just easiest way possible. They just recorded a duck. You know, quacking and played it backwards in the film. Oh, that's so smart. Keep it simple, right? Keep it simple. Like, I mean, because nobody knows how a Martian would speak. And I think everybody would just assume, like, don't they just go, like, ack, ack at each other? Yeah. <laughs> so I think Mars Attacks definitely influenced how we think Martians would speak at each other. Wouldn't they just do, like, ack, ack? I mean, or, you know, just or just say, like, E.T., like, phone home. Right. That's it. And. <laughs> To talk about that, actually, that kind of is why I think this film is a great, it's almost like a satire, parody, like spoof of uh, our culture at the time, you know, because it's funny that when they meet the Martians and they don't really speak English, what, they don't speak English, you know, (laughs) and they have to have this crazy contraption to translate the dialogue. It's, It's pretty silly. It's 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 he does a great job at poking fun at us, you know, in the United States or just humans in general and how we would react to Martians. Well, yeah. And again, that all comes from Burton's just love of these science fiction B movies. And at the time, everybody was just churning out these science fiction alien invader films A because they were cheap to make. You could interchange the cast. You could you could. These were basically like science fiction films and westerns were basically the same thing you rearrange characters and plots and locations and boom you have a science fiction picture on your hands and and i think watching this sort of begs the question do you think this is a parody for a film or is this satire oh i think this is a satire to me it's very satirical making fun of the president of the united states and how he would respond like Jack Nicholson's inability to make a decision. <laughs> and I love just how they, the military, how they portray the general guy. We got to murder everybody. <laughs> the consumeristic culture of Jack Nicholson, again, in the middle of this crazy invasion, is trying to sell a casino to a bunch of uh, international people. And despite getting like blown apart, you know, Martians, everyone's just going on their day to day life. You know, gambling away in Nevada, you know, we're just, we don't learn from our past mistakes. You know, the French meet with the Martians. I mean, it's, it's great. 
it's it's I think to me it was very satirical. Yeah, I would actually differ, and I would call this um, I call it a parody film, like because ultimately I think satire is supposed to subvert, but I think parody makes it's sort of like a roast like you you want to make fun of it but you also don't want to insult it and i think that's what (laughs) mars attacks does by saying like hey look yes we're making fun of the 1950s alien films but we're also making fun of government and scientists and just this overwhelming belief that seems to permeate in society that a first contact scenario would go very well and and yeah i it, it and there was just so many other parody films that were coming out in the 90s. Like Austin Powers started releasing in the 90s. And then shortly after that, Scary Movie came out. Yeah. And, but that was sort of like, that was just making fun of horror films and just the cultural zeitgeist at the time. So you see you see the delineation and the, the, the clouding of the lines that that we sort of knew that was parody and satire. Like the uh, the filmmakers who made the the airplane films and Top Secret, uh, like they knew how to make satire, whereas <laughs> Mel Brooks was somebody who could make parody. Yes, he could. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I I don't yeah, mind agreeing okay. to disagree. <laughs> like, and that's okay. That's why that's why we do this show. It's okay to disagree. <laughs> art art is subjective. It's meant to be subjective. <laughs> Amen to that, brother. <laughs> so let me ask you this too. I mean, what do you? I mean, we both agree that this is sort of a spoof film. So, what do you think is the key to making a great spoof film? A great spoof film. I think you need a great spoof cast, writing. Uh, I think the humor has to have a good balance where it doesn't take itself too seriously. You know. But it it has to have like a good mix, where it's not like total silly like fart jokes. It has to have like some cultural relevance to it. You hit the nail on the head when you said it's important. Like you you cannot take a spoof film too seriously. Like no. it's supposed to be there for fun, for humor. But you do have to strike that balance between tension and humor. And I think it's also important to have a clear vision. Like mm-hmm. you can't just do things just for the hell of it. Like in like in the scary movie films, like they spoof, you know, the WhatsApp, you know, commercials. They spoof Budweiser. They spoof Nike. Like you can't just do things just to do them. And yeah, and, I, and that's that's the difference between a great spoof film and a mediocre spoof film. Something like what the scary movie creators did. Yeah, and what they still do. Like we saw a lot of spoofs in the two thousands, where it was like even like McGruber. And like all these different ones that came out and some are good, some are bad, but it's all like objective, you know, or subjective. Yeah, I think this. Yeah, the spoof genre, I think, died after the last Austin Powers movie. It's just. Oh, yeah. I I, I do not <clears throat> see spoof films. I think they're just a, I think they're a massive waste of time now. But the, the, the whole genre is dead. And, and I mean, for all I know, there's going to be a next great spoof film that comes out within the next two or three years but it's i think it's a dead genre now i i'll agree with you there i i i definitely do because like you said there has to be like a clear um vision and and a story i think a good spoof film 
like what makes Austin Powers so fantastic is it's a story. While they spoof things, it doesn't go off the rails so far where you're like, what am I watching? You know, what is what is the point of this? You know, where they spend the whole film just spoofing people, but the story makes up 10%. And I think that's the difference between a good one like Austin Powers and, like you said, scary movie like four. <laughs> yeah, the scary movie films lost steam after the second one for me, and I just couldn't watch them anymore. <laughs> same, same. I couldn't either. The second one was what did it for me as well. Let me give you my strong hand. <laughs> <laughs> no, my other hand's not strong enough. <laughs> yes. Oh, th- that one was pretty good. So check out Scary Movie yeah. 1 and 2 if you want a decent <laughs> pocket of the 90s. There you go. Uh, so let's get back to Mars Attacks here. So a uh, uh, question I want to pose to you is, do you think a first contact scenario could in, could uh, like uh, roll out like this? Could we be receptive to it? And how how exactly do you see the first contact situation going? I don't. I don't see it going well at all. I see uh, if they come here. I don't think so. I think it would be very militaristic and capture, take, study, and research, and it wouldn't be like a peaceful thing. I, I couldn't see us like meeting with them. <clears throat> whatever aliens come here and you know have a dialogue i don't personally think no <laughs> now if it was like something in space where we're on their turf like we go to mars and then all of a sudden martians show up and they're like ah you know and they um mess with us i think space is a little bit different because it's out of our environment we can't control space so i think then nasa and everyone would be elon musk would be up to like up to a more peaceful. I still think it would be like a research experiment because it's all grounded in science. But on Earth here, oh, we would be like, what? Bomb them. You know, we don't understand. Like, I don't think it would be a peaceful thing. How about you? You know, honestly, I think a first contact scenario will happen similar to Star Trek. And here's why. I don't think aliens will just invade because there has to be a reason mm-hmm. for them just invading. Like either, like you said, there's they want to colonize or there's some sort of resource here that they want. But this is, if this is an intergalactic species that's able to master and develop interstellar travel, what what resource could they want here on Earth that's going to benefit them? I highly doubt that. So they just want to take over and colonize, but then the environment has to be similar to theirs, or they're going to mm-hmm. find a way to terraform. Then you're just getting into like weird headcanon of alien invasions. <laughs> but what I think will happen, and obviously it's not going to happen, I doubt it will happen within this century, given how the first quarter of it seems to have unfolded, uh, <laughs> that there's going to be some major discovery or we're going to progress as a civilization that'll send some sort of signal out to the cosmos that we are ready to be accepted into the intergalactic fold. And it happened very similar like that on, on Star Trek where humans mastered warp drive or they developed warp drive and that the, the Vulcans or whoever detected that. And then they peacefully landed on earth and say like, Hey, we're friendly. We, we want to share our developments with you and help your society progress even more. Personally, I think that's how it will unfold. That is a very optimistic look at it. And I, I I, I give you a lot of credit, Chris. I like that. 
I wish my view of it would be a little bit more optimistic. So I like that. Don't lose that hope, man. <laughs> hey, there's very few things I can look forward to in in the realm of uh, science or science fiction. One of them is human beings landing on Mars, and maybe I live long enough to see a first contact situation on planet Earth. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully. It would be fun to see, but I know I would be highly emotional when human beings land on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I think it would be pretty rad see us get there and uh walk around and oh my god we did it but yeah they can definitively definitively say there are no aliens here on mars we've been wrong this whole time yeah right we'll see <laughs> that's what they're saying 2030s 2040s we'll get to mars but who the hell knows so it's all up in the exactly air. nobody knows no nobody I mean, knows. hopefully elon, elon musk can you know figure his life out and develop a ship that will take people to mars mm-hmm We'll see. We definitely will. But cool. <laughs> now, <laughs> that's cool. All right. So, so, well, I mean, as we discussed when we were talking about the cast, there, this film is filled with major actors who, who have taken on smaller roles, less screen time. So in a film like this, was there anybody who managed to stand out? Or like, yeah. who, who surprised you? Who surprised me? Um, I love, well, Jack Nicholson is always incredible. He was really good. I enjoyed the, what was it? The grandma? I forget her name. What was it? Sylvia Sidney? She was really, yeah, she was really good. Sarah Jessica Parker and Pierce Brosnan was hilarious when his head was just like decapitated and she was on the dog. That just made me laugh so hard. And, uh. Who else? I think those, and then like Annette Benning, or no? Who? Which one played the president's wife? Was that Glenn Close? Yeah, that was Glenn Close. Yeah, she was so great. Like I loved her and Jack Nicholson's relationship. How he was just so terrified of her. <laughs> like that whole trio of uh, Natalie Portman, Glenn Close, and Jack Nicholson. They were just so great. Such like their whole family. Like I loved how Natalie Portman was the only logical person in the whole entire film her and then the the young man and then jim brown jim brown was great i just love it when they're sitting on the couch after congress was blown up and you hear natalie portman just you know sarcastically say well i guess it wasn't the doves <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah she was so great with her little zingers this whole this whole film i almost felt like she she just showed up and it was like man whatever because half of her lines, she just, especially at the end, with the guy giving his speech, sure, whatever, I don't care. She just played the role of the teenager, like, just perfectly. I mean, me personally, I think uh, Jim Brown was the underrated star of the film. Like, I, I would have seen this film if Jim Brown were the star and everybody else was just ancillary. Like, because this is a story I can get behind. Like, he's a former heavyweight boxing champion he's trying to build his life reconnect with his wife and kids mm -hmm. and he's gonna stop at nothing to get back to them i mean and even goes so far as to have a fist fight with a group of martians i thought that was incredible <laughs> and hilarious that was and that was the best because at the end you know they fly away and you're like oh shoot is this it like did he die and then boom baby he made it back 
right at the end. He finally made it home. Yeah, manages to go from Las Vegas to Baltimore in just under a night and gets back in time to squish a Martian's brain under his foot. (laughs) You know, ah, details. It's a movie. He somehow made it in a couple hours. Uh, Were you also surprised that most of the cast was killed off? Uh, No, I wasn't. I think that's the difference between the 90s and uh, big blockbuster, like big cast movies in modern times, because I feel like they don't ever kill off the cast, you know, in movies nowadays, whereas back in the day, I think they did a little bit more. Like in in the 90s in that grunge era, because the 70s, I don't think they really killed people off either and kept the whole cast in tune. But this was great. I loved it. Jack Nicholson dying twice. I was like, no way. I was completely blown away with that. I think, and I think that's what added to why the film was so great as a shock factor, because you didn't you didn't think that they were going to do it, but they did. No one was safe. Anyone could have been murdered at any time. Yeah, this was like science fiction Game of Thrones. Anybody could have died at any point. Yeah, and they did. (laughs) Michael J. Fox dying. I was like, no way, man! I couldn't believe it. I was surprised just given like how big all of these actors were at the time. Cause I mean, you got Jack Nicholson dying, like you said, twice, Glenn Close, Pierce Brosnan, Martin Short getting brained, Danny DeVito. Like there's so oh. many big actors at the time who are just killed. They're alien fodder. Yeah. And the only ones that really remained were the nobody actors. You know? That's why it was so that's why I loved how Tim Burton did it. All the big name, but that's the cool thing about it because all the big name actors played such deplorable human beings like Sarah Jessica Parker, Pierce Brosnan, Michael J. Fox. All of them were just like idiots and not nice people. And the only people that were left were actually the good, you know, the kid was great. Yeah, like Natalie Portman, all of them were good people. Yeah, the the people that are left were the smart ones. Like Luke, uh, Richie managed to, he did the the noble thing. He was going to go save grandma and he survived because of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas his parents were, you know, beaten to death in that trailer. Yeah. And, and Natalie Portman manages <clears throat> to hide. Pam Greer's taking care of her kids. Jim Brown, you know, wants to get back to his family. Like all, like the people who survived, like they did the right thing. They they were smart and they hid and they just waited it out. Like even even the Tom Jones gang at the end of the film when all when you get the, the Disney princess ending when all the deer and the birds show up. <laughs> yeah. That was another guy that was awesome. Low key, like super unexpected, and he just he crushed it. Yeah, I I, I him and Jim Brown, I always forget that they're yeah, this film, and he just shows up singing his song, and is like, "There's a Martian right behind me." <laughs> yeah, he crushed it. Uh, you gotta love Tim Burton, man. He just he has that wonderful shock factor that I think his films are missing nowadays. Uh, kudos to that. I love that cast. He, yeah, it, it, he definitely knew how to shock and entertain people all at the same time, and I think. One of the more, I wouldn't say shocking, but just sort of like the one of the big gotcha moments in the film is when the the Martians are allowed to enter the Chamber of Congress and they're just all zapped and all and they're all killed. All of them completely murdered the entire political faction of the United States. Isn't that nuts? 
That well, that's well, yeah, but, but, but that begs but me. But by doing that, do you think that Tim Burton like takes a political stance here? Like, is he is he saying like, oh, well, Democrats are bad or Republicans <laughs> are bad, or is it just everybody's bad? See, that's I was just about to ask you that same question. I don't know. So that's like my question. I think maybe he's saying it's all bad. That's why I took it as like kind of satire where he's like, he's saying it's all bad. Like we can't handle this stuff because we're too, where we're at in society, we're too far gone. Even in 95, 96, we need to, we need to reboot with better people, you know, or I, I, that's what I think in a way, but it's, I still kind of feel like he was just like poking fun at everyone. So it wasn't too heavy handed, but that maybe that's why this film is great because it's not like, I feel like if it was remade today, 25 years later, it would be very heavy handed with political theater as opposed to the more campy nature 25 years ago. How about you? You know, I I think he just, he splits the difference and says like, you know what? I'm making fun of everybody like, mm-hmm. and no one is safe in this film. Like blowing up Congress was absolutely hysterical and I love Sylvia Sidney's reaction when she's watching it on TV. She's laughing hysterically, going, they blew up Congress. That was so (laughs) so great. And, like, that doesn't exactly stir up controversy, I don't think, because, I mean, at any point in history, nobody likes Congress. Everybody hates Congress. Like, they, they, they have a very low approval rating, it seems like, every election cycle. I mean, Republicans are portrayed as more uh, warmongers. The Democrats and the scientists are naive. But then we also see that both of their suggestions don't work. Yeah. Like we, when uh, when Rod Steger's general character says, like, we have to launch nukes, like the Martians are able to neutralize the nukes. And in a scene that just gets me every time, they just suck up the nuclear gas like it's helium and just going eh, eh, eh. like I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> And then the scientists thinking it's a good idea to letting Martians in the chamber of Congress. Like, no, this is a bad idea, too. Like, you cannot. And then Jack Nichols is like, I hope we can able to find a peaceful resolution. Like, no, they just (laughs) killed a bunch of people. And you want to make peace with them? Like, nothing works here. It's so stupid. (laughs) Oh, I love it. It's so great. It really is. He just nailed it on the head. (laughs) That's why this film is so entertaining. Yeah, and I think and another strength of Tim Burton's films is that nobody is safe during his films. He's he makes fun of everybody. Everybody is made fun of. Even during uh, his Batman films, like even he even makes fun of Batman for trusting Catwoman and allowing himself to be taken in and and ultimately stabbed in the chest by her like everybody nobody is safe in a Tim Burton film mm-hmm. you are going to get some sort of maybe not an insult you're going to get some jab that's thrown at you if you're in a Tim Burton film always well he's he doesn't care he plays both sides which is really nice you know yeah, it's but I do want to briefly talk about like who what do you think of Jack Nicholson as president in this film? Like if 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 James Dale existed and he was running as a politician and he looked like Jack Nicholson, was Jack Nicholson. Do you think you'd vote for James Dale to be president <laughs> without knowing his political affiliation? <laughs> I don't know. It would it, I would have to know what he stands for. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. But Jack Nicholson as a president was pretty funny. And no, I wouldn't vote for Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Just the way that he reacted to all of this stuff. No, I would not vote for Jack Nicholson. Uh, I like the fact that Jack Nicholson, if he were president, could summon like this sort of like anger and darkness and fear. Yeah. That I think you need to you need to invoke in times as president. Like sometimes you have to be like like the disapproving dad. It's just like I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. I'm just disappointed. Yes. That is that is true. And I did love I always love like the little speech that he gives at the end <laughs> to the Martians trying to convince them to not kill him and to like be friends. It's so great because it's just Jack being Jack and he's such a freaking great actor. I love it. Even the Martians start applauding him, but then they just murder him because they don't care. That's why. Oh, it's so great. But where where do you think Jack Nicholson is slash James Dale ranks in terms of fictional presidents? Because there's been a a litany of fictional presidents that we've seen in Hollywood. So where where do you think he ranks? Oh, for in this movie, I would say for president, just like just like in in the in the pantheon of fictional presidents that we've seen, you know, across time, where does he rank in sort of like near the top or does he rank near the bottom? I would say he ranks near the top. I mean, obviously, you can never beat, like, I think Harrison Ford is great as the president. Um, but I, I think uh, I love, I loved Jack Nicholson in this just because of how, how he owned it, even though I didn't agree with how he responded. I thought it was great. So I, I would vote him near the top, definitely. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I think Harrison Ford's... Um president from air force one yeah. is, is the best that's ever existed <laughs> just for the sheer fact of him yelling at gary oldman get off my plane <laughs> i, just I love that so that. much yes god that's one of the best lines do you know if morgan freeman was ever a president in the film because i would rank him if he yeah, ever he was, was yeah he was in president in one of the uh gerard butler you know uh, olympus has fallen movies i forget ex i think it was a uh, Angel has fallen. He was president in that one, but I haven't seen that one. But I mean, yeah, Morgan Freeman would be a great uh, fictional president. Yes. He just has that voice where if he ever gave an address, you'd be like, all right, I believe this man. Much like oh, Barack Obama. Oh, it's like, yes, I, I just trust remember you. Morgan Freeman was. Yeah. Morgan Freeman was president in uh, Deep Impact. I almost forgot. About oh, that's that. right. Yes, yes, yes. I liked him in that. Yeah, there's a certain amount of people where you're just like, yes. I would love this person to be the prez in the movies. Yeah, I would say the yeah, yeah, Morgan Freeman, Jack Nicholson, Harrison Ford. Uh, don't forget Bull, uh, Bill Pullman from Independence Day. Great <laughs> on-screen presidents. That's right. Yes. This is our Independence Day. That speech is so epic every time. <laughs> All right. So what, what bothered you in this film, Sean? What was your lens flare? Uh what bothered me in this film? Honestly, nothing crazy uh, stood out to me as like a technical error or anything like that. The stupidity was very engaging and hilarious. I think the things that bothered me were just the people. <laughs> like our main character, like I can't even remember his name, uh, Jack Nicholson's parents or Jack Nicholson's uh, Jack Black. His parents, 
I couldn't stand them. And so I was very happy when those like trailer <laughs> people ended up getting squished. Uh, they, I just couldn't stand their like their disrespect for their son. We wish you died instead of him. I was like, man, you guys could just go. Like, no. Well, even his girlfriend, like two days after Jack Black is murdered on national television, she's you know in bed with another dude. Like, come on, like have some. Self. Have, some, have some respect. I know. Like, there's no mourning there. So I, I couldn't stand those people. And then obviously, you know, they always have to murder doves, you know, to show that they're aliens. So I would say like those things. But that would be more like my red shirt is the dove that got murdered. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> you know, I, I and I actually pointed this out when I was I was watching it. Like, I have to go with the. The Martians invading the nursing home and killing the residents as my lens fair. Because, I mean, you see you see a red skeleton running down in a wheelchair. And to me, it just seems like it's punching down for the Martians. They have all this advanced weaponry and technology. And they choose, like, no, we're going to invade the nursing home and kill everybody there. Like, they can't fight back. That's punching down. You don't punch down. <laughs> they don't care. They just want to murder everyone. I mean, but... I mean, but without that lens flare, we don't get the gag of playing Slim Whitman on the radio and having it just hit the right frequency and explodes Martian brains. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't stand. Was it the frequency or it was like loud enough and the music was terrible? I don't know. Maybe it's just the, the, the dulcet you know um you know yodeling of swim uh slim whitman that just you know struck the right uh chord in the martian brains and just blew them up <laughs> we can't handle this that's funny i like or that. or my the other lens flare i had would be the 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 opening of the film where you just see the the herd of cows running down the road and they're all on fire like like you mentioned like it's not an alien film without you know some sort of innocent animal being killed always that's the show of force we gotta go after the innocents you know it's it's not fair and i legit forgot about that opening like like i i did not even remember all the cows being on fire as being in the film and seeing it again after all this time like oh this is in the movie okay <laughs> this is dark yeah yeah very much so. That was that it definitely sets the tone for the entire film. <laughs> well, that's what bothered us, but uh do you want to hear the latest what what bothered the internet? Sure. The latest edition of this week in Toxic Fandom. Go for it. Go for it. Oh man, I, I, I found one because it didn't have anything to do with the Martians, but it had to do with Pam Greer's character, uh uh Louise Williams. She was a bus driver. So <clears throat> from IMDB. The bus driver, Louise Williams, sees her kids, Cedric and Neville, in a games arcade and says to her passengers, excuse me, folks, but we've got to make an unscheduled stop. It takes about four seconds between braking and stopping. At 30 miles per hour, that would have taken about 120 feet, yet she manages to stop the bus at the arcade about 10 feet after she first saw the kids. <laughs> <laughs> so just quibbling... <laughs> it's like you had to voice it on the internet maybe sh maybe it's just a movie maybe for dramatic effect oh you put the bus back in front of the arcade and she drags the kids and puts them on the bus what the frick why why and how do they know the feet 
Like, what did they calculate that before? Oh, it's impossible. 10 feet. Oh, it's 120 feet. Like, it's a movie. It's a movie, folks. Who cares when the bus stopped? Who cares? Nobody does. It's crazy because, like, that was the thing, you know? Like, out of all the stuff, you know, the movie was crazy up until then anyways. It it, it already, like, started off as, like, this is what we are, man. But this, that was the bus. The bus was the thing that got him. That's crazy. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, so, did you have a red shirt, Sean? There's so many to choose from in this film. But did you have one that you felt super bad for? One that I felt super bad for? <laughs> ah! No, I think everyone that died deserved to die. <laughs> Other than the cows, the cows and the dove, the poor animals, because it's never fair to see animals getting attacked. I don't like that. So, no, but the humans, I did not care. I was like, you, you guys can die. That's fine. How about you? Again, but there's there's just so many to choose from. You have Buster, the first dog. You had Danny DeVito's character, who's his only cre- he's credited as the rude gambler. His character doesn't even have a name. <laughs> but I have to say. My red shirt for Mars Attacks would have to be the Secret Service agent, Mitch. Granted, Mitch, not great at his job, but he's loyal and he was killed in the war room. And he seemed to be pretty good, you know, at some points. He he was able to save the president when the, the Martian uh, had him hostage. But he allowed Jerry, Martin Short's uh, character, the press secretary, brought to bring a complete stranger into the White House for the purposes of sex. I know. Like you, why would you let him bring somebody into the White House who doesn't have the right clearance? And again, this was during the time when you could visit the White House and you didn't have to win some sort of championship trophy to get an invitation. Oh, like you could just show up at the White House and say, "I want a tour." And oh, that's crazy. But even still, like this is this is probably like midnight, one in the morning or something. And you're on duty and you see the press secretary bring what is obviously a hooker, somebody in disguise through the front door. Why wouldn't they say, no, you can't bring that person in here? God, dude, Martin Short's character was so deplorable. I was so happy for him to die. I couldn't wait for him to die. Yeah, I did not feel bad when he got hit in the head with that statue. I'm like, yeah, you had that coming. You you were a ding. You were a dingus. Yeah, so it's okay if those oh, people man. aren't left on the planet. <laughs> no loss. <Exactly>. No loss. <laughs> uh, so what do you say we now discuss the legacy that was Mars Attacks? Okay. I'm down. Okay, so after after all the expenses, the film's production budget was $70 million. All right. And for marketing, it was it, it was about $100 million. However, Mars Attacks only grossed $101 million at the box office, so it was not a success at the time. <laughs> no, not really. And, and because I like doing this, it came out December 13th, 1996. It also, that was also the same day that Jerry Maguire came out, and Jerry Maguire was oh. a huge film, nominated for a couple Academy Awards, Cuba Gooding Jr. won an Oscar in for that film. So, but like Sean mentioned earlier in the show, a little film. I don't. I, I think you've heard of this shot. Independence Day 
came out in 1996. Probably one of the best alien invasion films that's ever come out. Mm -hmm. And so many people actually thought that Mars Attacks was a spoof of Independence Day. Really? And that, yeah, like there were so many people who didn't see this and thought, oh, Mars Attacks, isn't that just a ripoff of Independence Day? And this is the problem with releasing films with similar premises really close to each other is people get confused and thankfully independence day was a massive film at the time made up its budget it's still held up as one of the best science fiction films but it is just i think the success of independence day really kind of tanked the chances of mars attacks being a successful film yeah i'm gonna agree with you there i i definitely think so people it was just kind of one of those things where people saw it and they're like, oh, we've already seen this. You know, what? why Why are we going to watch this again? But they're so, like, different, you know? There's, like, a stark contrast between the two. So I feel like the people that wanted to see it, it's either you love or hate, you know? I mean, it did find success uh, in Europe, but even Tim Burton went on to say he tried to defend releasing the film in 1996, but... <laughs> I think it, 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 he said, quote, it almost seemed like we had done kind of a mad magazine version of Independence Day. Mm-hmm. So that was his quote after after the film came out. And and then it's very rare that this happens, too. But during when the film was still in theaters, TBS actually purchased the broadcasting rights of the film. So really? I think the studio realized that they weren't going to be making a lot of money and just said, like, you know what? Forget it. We're selling the broadcast rights right now. <laughs> it's over. We're done. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, it's it's very rare that it happens while a film is still in theaters, but I think they saw the writing on the wall when the box office numbers were coming back. Yeah, I know. and it, But it's still, that's crazy. It still made like $30 million, so I'm sure they made their budget back, at least some of it. It made, it made some money, but again, when you only make $101 million... Yeah during your theatrical run and you spent a hundred million dollars to make this film nobody's making a ton of money no no (laughs) that's true well it 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 didn't help that the the critical reception at the time wasn't great i mean now i mean uh internet reviews there's it's got a 54 percent on rotten tomatoes 52 on metacritic it's got a b on cinema score Mm -hmm. so in it just at the time there's just so many people who just mock the film like there was a reviewer for the los angeles times there's just it, it called it it even it, even this review mention uh, references independence day just saying like the it mocks the conventions that independence day takes so seriously um and it said that in truth mars tax is not as fun as it should be it's like well i kind of have to disagree with that yeah i agree I agree. Like, it can be fun. You just can't take the film too seriously. No, you just have to take it for what it is, you know? And it's not something that's going to be earth-shattering or anything. It just, it's a film, you know? And it's 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 a silly film. And it's not, you know, if you want to spend some time and laugh, watch it. So, also, no Oscar nominations. It was shortlisted for Best Visual Effects, but I think uh, that award ended up going to Independence Day. Yeah. But nominated for a ton of Saturn Awards. Danny Elfman won Best Music, um, but also nominated for Best Performance by a Younger Actor, 
Best Supporting Actress, Best Director, Best Costumes, Best Special Effects, Best Sci-Fi Film, and so yeah, yeah. big uh big time nominations at the Saturn Awards. Yeah, so it, it you know, and that's good because it should with the Saturns absolutely. So I mean, let me ask you this too. I mean, do you think that uh, Mars Attacks has managed to ascend to cult status? I mean, we're far enough removed from the release of it. I think there's still a solid appreciation for the film, but do you think it has become sort of the cult classic that maybe it was accidentally intended it, uh, for it to be? Um, I don't know. I, I, cause I haven't heard many people talk about it, to be honest with you. Like where I'm at now, I, I know some of like, I, one of the nurses, you know, she, we were talking and I did like podcasts and, um, She's like, oh, yeah, Mars Attacks. You know, I remember seeing that in the 90s. You know, she's like, either love it or hate it. And that's how I felt about it as well. But I don't know many people that are like, what? Mars Attacks? I saw that, you know. So I think maybe there's a pocket out there. I haven't investigated on Reddit if, you know, it's like a cult status. I think it could be a pretty good cult following movie. Definitely. If it got like a bunch of traction. Absolutely. This is total cult status film. What do you think? I mean, I would hope that it does ascend into cult status soon. Um, but I think I think the time is sort of running out for this film to be considered a cult classic. I think um, I think the thing was able to find new life 20 years after the release and is now the classic we revere it to be. But I think the window is fastly closing on Mars Attacks for it to be recognized as this this great spoof satire parody whatever you want to call it yeah i think i would hope that people begin to recognize it soon and is able to find a uh, new life uh, for people i agree i agree with you there so with all of that in mind let's rate mars attack sean i'm down all right, so on our unique scale on the Force-Fed <laughs> Sci-Fi Podcast of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own, and would host a viewing party, what do you give Mars Attacks? All right, what would I give Mars Attacks? For me, I would rate this film as a... Um, I would put this as a would own. I don't think it's a perfect film at all. But to me, it's pretty entertaining, and I got a lot of the jokes. I enjoyed the CGI, the the sheer campiness of it all. Uh, to me, the satire on everything, and it's it's just a nice pocket of the '90s, you know, for the pop culture at the time. And to me, a nice, good little critique of human nature and how we are, and like as a species and everything. And plus, the Martians are just hilarious, like. That their voice, the way they just brutally murder people, it's it's really just like a fun movie to me um, that I really enjoyed. So I would put this as a would own, absolutely. I think it's something that people should watch if they, you know, if you enjoy like cheesy sci-fi and it's not in a way cheesy like from it's from the '60s and '50s, but it's a good throwback piece and an homage to them. So I definitely think people should check it out. How about you? You know, I would have to say if there is one thing that Mars Attacks uh, truly excels at, it's that it doesn't take itself too seriously. Mm -hmm. There is 
in spite of the the seriousness that's shown on screen, we interpret it to be funny and humorous. And I think a lot of that is owed to the the great comedic performances from like people you wouldn't expect to be as funny, like Jack Nicholson, Glenn Close, Pierce Brosnan. Like they dole out some truly great comedic performances and timing and even the visual effects still look great after all this time. Granted, this is still in the early days of computer-generated images for film, mm-hmm. but I think this is still one of the great early examples of how that can be used as a tool to enhance the film. Because this would have looked entirely different, and we wouldn't be able to buy into it if it were stop-motion animation, that like what was originally envisioned. And like we discussed earlier there's no big message here politically it makes fun of both sides and everybody it's just comic alien destruction and mayhem and for that reason i would have to call this a wood host a viewing party oh there you go cool i like that yeah you know as much as i dig the film i think this is something that a lot of people can enjoy and like I said, yeah. you cannot take this film too seriously. Like you have to go in with the right mindset. Similar to like if you were going to watch Starship Troopers, you know that's going to be a satire mm-hmm. film. You have to know that going into it. And same thing with this. You have to know that this isn't going to be some serious alien invasion film. This is this is sort of like a time capsule. This is an homage to the great science fiction films from the 1950s. And I think now yeah. we're far enough from removed to be able to appreciate that, but I don't think people were ready for that in 1996, fresh off the heels of a film like Independence Day. No, I, I agree f- with you fully. Absolutely. Well, good stuff, man. Good stuff. It's Mars Attacks. So now it's time to pick our next movie. Absolutely. We're going to enlist the help of our random number generator AI, Major Samantha, to help us pick our next film from our list of 118 films that we keep in reserve for the show. And from that list, she has selected number 17. We're high up in the list here. It's a film from 2011 (laughs) directed by Rupert Wyatt and starring James Franco. It is Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, wow. Okay. Sweet. I'm down yeah, to so check we that are one diving out. into our first foray into the Planet of the Apes franchise, at least the reboot franchise. So I'm excited to rewatch this one. I got to tell you. Same. It's been years since I've seen it. So this is going to be good. Hopefully. <laughs> awesome. So that'll be our film in the main feed for next time. We've got a lot of exciting bonus episodes coming up here soon in the feed. Uh, we're going to be doing A Quiet Place 2. we got Mortal Kombat that we're still working on and a lot of great releases that are coming here in the summer of 2021. So be on the lookout for those. Uh, and if you enjoyed today's show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. That really is the best place to do it. Say what you want. Tell us what your favorite sandwich is or what your favorite Tim Burton movie is and as often as please rate and subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify wherever you get podcasts and if you want more show notes and links to all of our social media head on over to our website forcefedsci-fi.com and so for all of us at the forcefed sci-fi team myself and sean culp we'll see you next time <laughs>